Well, good morning and welcome to Trace. My name is Corey and I'm one of the pastors here and it is a, uh, it's a privilege for me to be able to bring the message to you today. Uh, our, our lead pastor, Aaron, is back in Kentucky for a wedding and so he, he sends his greetings to you this week. Uh, but if you were with us here last week, we, we not only got to celebrate uh, Easter service, um, but we also got to celebrate our first Easter service ever as Trace Church. And last week, we had, we had 499 people show up for our first ever Easter service. And that's, yeah, absolutely. That is to be celebrated. Uh, and I share that number with you because here at Trace, uh, we believe that every number has a name. And every name has a story, and every single story matters to God. And so there was 499 stories last week that showed up to our first ever Easter service, and that's awesome. And here's the deal. I know that the Holy Spirit was here last week as well, so we're just going to make it an even 500, okay? So 500 here last week. And the cool thing about that is that we as a church... Uh, along with some other churches here in the area, are, are partnering with a group, an organization called Springs Rescue Mission. And what we decided to do for Easter service was every person who showed up here, uh, we would uh, write a check for $5 per person to go to that organization, Springs Rescue Mission, which works with our homeless population here in the area and tries to get them back on their feet. And so that means we as a church get to write a check for $2,500 to Springs Rescue Mission and, and make a difference. And that is so cool. And here's the deal. We got to do that just because you showed up. Sometimes, sometimes to make a difference and, and to be a difference, it just requires you showing up. So I'm, I'm glad that you showed up last week. I'm glad that you're here this week, and we're going to have some, some good conversation here today. Now, I just need to know, uh, a quick show of hands, uh, how many golfers do we have out here? All right. Okay, good, good, good. That, that helps me know how to pray for you this week. All right, so we have a few of you. Yeah, now, if you're anything like me, uh, I can say this because I know that when you golf, you need a lot of prayer. Um, I, I learned uh, a long time ago that the only way that I can actually enjoy the game of golf is, is that to come to the realization that I'm just not any good at it, all right? I'm just not good, and now I can play the game. But, but there is one unwritten rule uh, that I love about the game of golf. It's the concept of the mulligan. You, you all know what the mulligan is? All right, so here, here's the deal for those of you all that don't know. The mulligan is when you, when you get up to approach your shot and, and you take your first attempt at a swing and it goes horribly wrong, okay, uh, which is the, the majority of my shots. But, but what happens is, is those that are in the party that are with you are gracious enough to allow you a second chance at that shot without assessing a penalty or a stroke because they are God-fearing, loving people, all right? Uh, what it is, what it is is a do-over, all right? And as much as I love having a, a mulligan in the game of golf, uh, who among us wouldn't wish that we had a mulligan in life? Uh, maybe, maybe the entirety of our life, but at least certain moments in life to be able to go back and, and do things over again. Maybe if you had a mulligan, you'd go back and you'd parent that kid a little bit different than you, than you did. Or maybe you would have chosen a different career path to follow. Or maybe you would have approached that first marriage a little differently. Or maybe you would have actually studied for that test that you failed a couple weeks back. Uh, or maybe, maybe you wouldn't have eaten the entirety of that chocolate bunny out of your kid's Easter basket last weekend in one setting. Okay, personal confession right here. Um, not a good idea. Um, but here's the deal. Unfortunately, in life... We are stuck with the consequences of the things that we've done and ultimately who we've become. We don't have mulligans. We don't have do-overs. But what if, what if I could tell you this? 
What if I could tell you that you don't have to be the same person that you've always been? What, what, if, what if from here on out, it were possible not necessarily to erase the past, but to, to be renewed from this point forward? And that's what we're actually going to talk about today. Today we're going to continue in this re-series, and, and, and we're going to spend our time dialoguing about the concept of, of renew. Now, if, if you're new here to Trace, it's important for you to know uh, our vision. Our vision for this church is to embrace the tension between truth and grace. It's actually where our name comes from. Trace is a, is a combination of truth and grace. Jesus came full of truth and grace, and so we as a church want to enter into a conversation with grace, but full of truth. And so with our vision in mind today, um, by the time you walk out of here, if you don't get anything else, this is the one thing that I want you to take away. Grace beckons you to come as you are, but truth begs you not to stay that way. Grace beckons you to come as you are. Truth begs you not to stay that way. So if you have your Bibles with you here today, I want you to go ahead and open them up, turn them on, and flip to John chapter 3. If for some reason you don't have a Bible here with you today, but you do have an electronic device, uh, you can actually go to Uversion and, uh, and use that as, uh, as, a, as your Bible. We have some Bibles in our guest services. Those are available to you at any time. You're welcome to grab one of those as well. Uh, but I want you to open up to John chapter 3. Uh, the author of this book is a, is a guy named John. All right, He happened to be one of the, the, the original 12 disciples in the uh, immediate camp of Jesus, spent a long time with him, and, and he wrote an account of the life of Jesus, and that's what we find here in John chapter 3. Uh, what we see is an interaction that Jesus had with a guy named Nicodemus, and we're going to take a look at their interaction in order for us to better understand this idea of renew today. So, John chapter 3 verse 1 says this, now there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, if we're going to talk about Nicodemus today. You need a little bit of a backstory. And the first thing that we find out about Nicodemus is that he was a Pharisee. In other words, he was a, he was a really religious guy who devoted himself to the, to the study and the practice of the, of the Jewish law. Now, the other thing you need to know about this group called the Pharisees is this is a group that, that when Jesus spoke harshly to, most oftentimes it was to this particular religious group, this sect of, of people. Uh, in addition to that, the Pharisees were also the people that were trying to silence Jesus and ultimately were the party largely responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. Okay, So this is, this is who Nicodemus is. Now, in addition to that, it tells us that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, in other words, he was a part of the Sanhedrin. That was the name that was given for them. Now, imagine with me for a moment, um, their Sanhedrin was kind of like our Supreme Court. Uh, so uh, of, of about 10,000 people, uh, Pharisees, uh, during the time of Nicodemus, uh, there was only about 70 of those that were chosen to be on this elite group called the Sanhedrin. And Nicodemus was, was one of those 70. So he was like the elite of the elite religious guys. He was a pretty prominent, important dude. And that's important for you to know going into this. Let's, let's continue on verse 2. He, it's Nicodemus, came to Jesus at night. And he said, Rabbi, we, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. So what Nicodemus does is he comes to Jesus and he conveys to him. He says, the people that I run around with, we are confounded by you. In one hand, we see the amazing things that you do. And, 
And really, we have no other alternative but to see that it's from God. But at the same time, our understanding of who the Messiah is supposed to be and the things that you say cause us to be conflicted about who you are. Now, the important thing to note about this interaction is when Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Did you all catch that? When did Nicodemus come to Jesus? At nighttime, right? Under the cover of darkness. Now, why do you think that that might be an important note? Because it's not just spoken of here. Later on, when, whenever Nicodemus is spoken of, it's actually used as, as a descriptor of him. The, the man who saw Jesus at night. Well, there's two reasons uh, that I can come up with. One's more obvious, one's less obvious. Let me go with the less obvious one first. Uh, first of all, you need to understand the, the guy who's writing down this story. His, his name's John, right? And he has this infatuation with this concept of light and dark. As a matter of fact, he, he describes Jesus as being the light of the world. And in his opening statements of the Gospel of John, he conveys, he says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. It's very possible that John was making connection between the religious, uh, the religious elite and, and speaking of them and Nicodemus specifically as being in the dark. Even these guys who have devoted themselves to the law are still in the dark. Now, the second reason that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night is one that we probably all could recognize. Why do you do anything at dark in the night? It's because you don't want other people to see you do that thing, right? And, and Nicodemus was no different. He had a reputation at stake. He was still figuring things out. He didn't want anybody else to know that he was associating with Jesus. And so he comes to him at night. Now, I want you to notice for a moment what Jesus doesn't do. All right, Jesus knows who he is and he knows the group of people that he's a part of. What he doesn't do is he doesn't say, aren't you one of those guys that's trying to kill me? Like, I'm not talking to you. He doesn't do that. The other thing he doesn't do is he, he doesn't say, hey, dude, if, if you want to talk to me, then, then come back during the daylight hours and show your face to me, and then I'll have a conversation with you. He doesn't do that. He welcomes him just as he is because grace beckons you to come just as you are. Doubts and all, flaws and all, issues and all, come just as you are to Jesus. He welcomes you. But in good Jesus fashion, truth begs you not to stay that same way. And so he continues the conversation with Nicodemus in verse 3. And he says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And he reiterates the statement again in verse 5. He says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. So he makes this, this bold statement to Nicodemus, one that Nicodemus quite frankly doesn't understand. And there's a couple of things that we can be sure about in these statements. One is that Jesus equates being born again with being born of water and spirit. That's un, undeniable, okay? And that's not argued. We'll come back to what those things mean here in a minute. The other thing that we see here is that Jesus is making a statement. He says, unless you are born again, you can't enter in the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't matter how religious you are, doesn't matter how much of the scripture that you know, doesn't matter how well you've kept the law, unless you're born again, you are not in. And he's speaking this to Nicodemus. He, he lets him know that he's not born again. So let, let's talk about what that looks like. What, what does born again actually mean? What does born of water and spirit look like? Well, if, if you talk to different scholars, uh, people will have different conversations about this. They, they argue about what Jesus actually means when he talks about being born of the water and, and, and of spirit. What, what I'm going to do is that today I'm going to share with you my opinion on this. And what you need to know here, Trace, is we don't expect for you to walk out of this place and just go, well, the pastor said it, it must be true. 
Okay, what we want you to do is we want you to take the things that we say and the things that we share, we want you to go examine them further. We want this to be the beginning of the conversation. We want you to come to your own conclusions. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you my opinion on what Jesus is talking about when he says to be born again this must mean that you must be born of both the water and of the Spirit. And, and this is what I think Jesus is speaking of. I think he's speaking of, of when you surrender your life to God. When you turn the keys of your life over to God and you agree to die to yourself in order to live to him, what happens is that a spiritual transaction takes place. The old gets washed off and the new emerges. And this transaction happens to be consistent with what we see happening in the process of baptism. Okay, We see this first happen in the very baptism of Jesus. So when we see Jesus go into the waters, guys, you have to understand, Jesus hadn't sinned. He, he, he never does. He was sinless, so he didn't have any need to actually wash away his sins. What it meant for him was that he was submitting to the will of his Father. And he submits to that, and he goes under the water, and as he comes up, the Spirit descends on him in, in the form of a dove. Water and Spirit, we see. We, we see this again in, in Romans chapter 6, as, as Paul shares that, that baptism actually is like identifying with the very work of Jesus. And he says this, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life, a, a, a renew, a rebirth, water and, and spirit. And in, in one of my favorite retellings of, of the gospel message in Titus chapter 3, it says this, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me be really clear on this, guys. Baptism in and of itself does not save you. You, you might have heard of, uh, of, of the brother of the guy who was going to get baptized, and they're on their way down to the river, and, and right as he's standing on the very bank of the river, um, the guy who's going to get baptized has a heart attack, and he dies. And, and, and the brother is, is devastated. And he, he runs up to the, to the nearest church and he, he, he knocks on the door of the pastor and he says, Pastor, Pastor, and he explains the situation. He says, I got to know. He says, is, is my brother saved or is he not? Is he going to heaven? The pastor looks back at him and he says, well, <clears throat> which way did he fall? So, in the water, he's good. Out of the water, he's not. Okay, Guys, that, don't get caught up in this. All right? It is, it is completely possible for you to simply be a wet religious man or woman who's still living in the dark. That's what we see Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. You see, Nicodemus had been through a thousand cleansing rituals in his lifetime. And he was steeped in the law. And it was devout in his, his approach. But God was saying that he was still in the dark. He was not reborn. But if in fact, if in fact you enter into the baptismal waters for the point of dying to yourself in order to live for God, then you need to understand that it's at that moment that you are being renewed. You are being reborn. Guys, the water doesn't save you. Jesus does. But, but here's what you need to know. If you were to come to ask one of us here at Trace, what must I do in order to be saved? What we tell you is this. We, we tell you to surrender your life to Jesus, to repent and, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is what was instructed. That is what is necessary for rebirth, dying to self, submission to God, and allowing him to renew you, to be reborn. 
Now, I can't tell you exactly why God instituted this idea of getting wet in order to, to signify this idea of rebirth. Any more than I can tell you why he instituted the, the sacrificial system or, or circumcision for that matter. Right? I can try to explain that one. All right? it, it, these are hard concepts for us to understand. But this is what I can tell you is that anything that God has put in place is for our benefit. And oftentimes, it is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. And the physical act of baptism is, is the spiritual transaction signifying our rebirth. And this is, what, this is what Jesus wants you to know, guys. Jesus wants you to know today that you don't have to be the same person that you've always been. It is possible to, to experience a rebirth. It is possible to experience a renewal. And if you're sitting in here today or you're listening to this online and you're not satisfied with, with where you're at right now or what you've done or who, who you are or where you're going, I'm here to tell you today that Jesus offers you a renew. He offers you a renew. Now, just in, in case the, the words of Jesus uh, are, are not satisfactory to you, maybe, maybe you'll take the words of the great theologian Tim McGraw when he says it this way, all right, in a recent song. He says, I'm, I'm learning who you've been ain't who you got to be. I ain't as good as I'm going to get, but I'm better than I used to be. Now, just in case you all were wondering, uh, if you don't like country, you're not going to like heaven, okay? So that's just a little side note. <laughs> it's not requirement to get in there, but you're just not going to like it a whole lot, all right? It was hard for Tyler to find a picture of Tim McGraw without his abs showing, by the way. That was, so I appreciate you doing that. Guys, grace beckons you to come as you are. Come as you are. Truth begs you, though, not to stay that same way. And you can see this conversation brewing with Jesus and Nicodemus. And, and as Jesus is explaining these things, Nicodemus still doesn't get it. And, and that probably is noted here in verse 9, probably better than anywhere else. It says, how can this be? I don't understand it. I don't get it. And maybe, maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've been in conversation with God. Maybe you're in a situation and, and you're just like, God, I don't get what you're up to. I don't understand why this is happening. I, I, don't, I don't quite comprehend what you're trying to do. Or maybe you've opened up the, the Bible and you're like, I just don't understand this. Well, here's the good news and the bad news. I think that God gets frustrated with our lack of understanding sometimes. I know he does with me. I think sometimes he just sits there with his hand on his forehead like, seriously, you don't get that? But here's the wonderful thing about our God. He never turns away anybody who is genuinely seeking after him, who wants to know the answers. Yeah, you see, I think that in this situation, Jesus gets a little bit frustrated with Nicodemus that he doesn't understand. You can see that in the text a little bit. But you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't stop the conversation because he knows that Nicodemus is genuinely seeking after him. He wants to know. And as somebody who wants to know, he invites them into that conversation. And he explains it further. So let me ask you this today. Are you genuinely seeking Jesus? Do you, do you show up here on Sunday just because you want information to add to your knowledge bank? Or do you really want Jesus to transform your life? Are you simply a religious person who comes to, to hear about Jesus, but you don't actually want him to transform and change your life? Because it's possible to be a religious person and not be born again. Jesus wants people who are seeking the truth and desiring to be changed because he can change you. He can transform you. And so in this conversation with Nicodemus, he continues to explain to him and, and share some things with him. And, and just honest confession in this, I, I don't think I ever realized 
But, but John 3.16, probably the most noted passage in all of Scripture, one of the most famous passages given in Scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That was actually spoken in a dialogue <clears throat> with a doubting religious guy named Nicodemus. Those words that have blessed us and generations that have come before us so much happened because of one guy who was willing to actually see Jesus, even if it was in the darkness of night, and willing to listen to him. And Jesus spoke those words to Nicodemus at night. Now, we don't know exactly how Nicodemus received all this conversation, but we do see that Jesus leaves Nicodemus with this challenge, as he often does us. He says this, But whoever lives in the truth, whoever lives by the truth, comes into the light. He's challenging Nicodemus. He said, You came to see me at dark this time. He's like, but if you're going to live by these words, if you're going to receive the things I'm telling you, it requires a step into the light. And here's why. So that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Now, up until this point, Nicodemus is simply a religious guy that is still in the dark. He has seen the work of God happening in Jesus, and he's noted it, but he's not yet experienced the work of God in his own life. He wants to believe in Jesus, but he's not quite willing to surrender his, his entirety to him. You, you see, he knows there's something more, but he doesn't want to give up what he thinks that he has in order to get it. But the cross of Christ requires a response. You cannot be moved by Jesus and remain the same. It, requ it requires some kind of, of response and so this is what you need to know today, guys. It is not only a possibility to be renewed, but Jesus makes it a prerequisite. He says in order to enter into the kingdom of God, you actually have to be renewed. You have to be reborn. But that doesn't necessarily make it easy. It's still difficult. It still is a process. And the next time we hear of Nicodemus, he's on the inside of a conversation about uh, an attempted apprehension of Jesus. I say attempted because, remember, the group of guys that he hangs around with are the group uh, of guys that want Jesus to be silenced. And so they send out some temple guards to, to go and, and, and apprehend him and to shut him up, basically. Uh, but it doesn't go so well. And so we pick up in, in chapter 7, verse 45. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees asked them, why didn't you bring him back? Well, the guards declared, no one ever spoke the way this man does. And so the Pharisees retorted, you mean he's deceived you also? Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. What you're going to find out here in just a minute is that Nicodemus is counted within those same people that are sitting in there in that conversation. What that means is this, that Nicodemus' Sanhedrin friends don't yet know that Nicodemus has been pursuing Jesus. You see, he's not yet stepped into light. He's not yet stepped into his faith. He's not yet held on to this new identity, this new birth. But what we get to see, and this is, this is a privilege of Scripture, what we get to see is the, the first inkling of Nicodemus owning his new identity, his, his rebirth, his renewal. And this is what Nicodemus says. Uh, it says, Nicodemus, who has, been, who has gone to Jesus earlier and who is one of their own number, asks... Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? So in other words, he's trying to defend Jesus by using the law. Well, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. You see, Nicodemus sticks out his neck for Jesus a little bit. And, and in the process, he gets it chopped off. He, he gets the attack personally 
coming from these other guys. And what he starts to realize is that as his views on Jesus were, were changing, and as he desired to, to become somebody that he wasn't before, he realized that the people around him weren't helping him to get where he was going. And a growing chasm between him and his friends continued to exist. Folks, you can't help but influence others. That's just how it works. But in the same breath, you also can't help but be influenced by others. Maybe you have found that in your pursuit of Jesus, there are those people in your life that constantly draw you back into the person that you once were or remind you of who you used to be. That, that boyfriend, those coworkers, those old college friends, the ones that have uh, different values, the ones that don't share your same convictions that may cause you to loosen your morals, the ones that cause you to slip back into your old habits. Sometimes, guys, sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes it is necessary. It is necessary to cut off old relationships as you step into the renewed life that God has to offer you. Now, guys, catch this. Be careful. Be careful. It's not because you are any better than they are. You are, you are just as bad as they are. But what you've realized is that God has called you to something more. He's called you to something different. He's called you to something renewed, and they're not helping you get to that place. Guys, you not only don't have to be the same person that you've always been, if in fact you've been renewed by Jesus, you've turned the keys of your life over to him, then you are no longer who you once were. You not only don't have to be the same person you were, but if you belong to Jesus, you are no longer who you once were. Second Corinthians says it this way, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The new has come. You are a new creation. Now, guys, this is incredibly hard for us to comprehend because even if we can cognitively understand this and receive this, practically we constantly screw it back up because we, we find ourselves doing the same things that we used to do, right? We find ourselves going back to those old habits and they are hard to kick. But understand this, you are no longer who you used to be even if you find yourself doing the same things that you do. It, it, is, it is hard for us. Habits are hard to kick, all right? We, 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 are, we tend to lean back to the things that we used to do, and, and it's hard to get rid of that old person. And so what, what I want to do is I want to, I want to show you a video clip, and we're going to go a little bit of a psychological route here. We're going to, we're going to hear from a great psychologist named Bob Newhart. Check, check this out real quick. Tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No, no, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes, yes, that's it. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? 
Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. You're there. Stop it! <laughs> Stop it? Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you... you, you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> yes. Then stop it! I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop it. <laughs> oh, so <clears throat> in summation, that, that's what we have to say today. Just stop it, all right? That's it. So I, I wish, I wish it were that easy. I wish it were that easy to allow the old to fade away and the new to come and, and for a rebirth to come and just, just to stop it. And it is possible. It is possible for God to completely and instantaneously transform us in bleak of an eye. And I have I've witnessed this happen in some people's lives. But for the large majority of us, stop it is insufficient. And it's harder than it looks. You see, <clears throat> it's actually more of a process than it is an immediate thing. And I've seen God immediately restore relationships and deliver people from addictions, but old habits are hard to kick even when we surrender to Christ. Matter of fact, I've got a, I've got a friend right now who has uh, struggled with alcoholism for most of his life. And uh, uh, recently, he came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and surrendered his life to him, was baptized, and he was renewed by Christ. But I got a call from him this past week, and... Uh, uh, when, I, when I heard his voice, you could hear him uh, just quiver a little bit. And, and he told me that uh, he was checking into a rehab facility because alcohol was still running his life. Now, i got to tell you this about my friend. And it's different than what AA would tell you. And here's the deal, guys. AA is a wonderful program, but I differ with him in this one thing. You see, my friend is uh, he's not an alcoholic. You see, that is not his highest definition. That is not his identity. That is not what defines him. No, he's a child of God. He is a reborn, renewed child of God, and he knows his identity well enough to know that he doesn't want alcohol running his life anymore. He wants Jesus doing it. And so for him, going to rehab was not a sign of defeat, even though I know in his voice as I heard him speak of this, he felt that way. I needed to remind him. That is not defeat. That is a reflection of your rebirth. That is a reflection of your renewal because you know who you are. You see, rebirth is oftentimes definitive. It's a moment in time when we completely surrender over to, to Christ. But renewal, that is oftentimes incremental. It's a, it's a daily surrender to God. It's a daily understanding of who you are now in Christ over who you once were. Ephesians 4 puts it this way, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, rebirth. 
which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. That's renewal. And it's a daily process. Dying to self daily, picking up our cross daily and following Jesus daily. That is what is required of us. Guys, you don't have to be who you always were. And if you're in Christ, you are no longer who you once were. But ridding ourselves completely of ourselves is an ongoing process. And it takes patience and it takes time. And you need to understand that here at Trace, we embrace this process. And we understand in the story of Nicodemus that that is exactly what happened with him. He didn't change overnight. But the next time we see Nicodemus, he's at the cross just after Jesus has been pronounced dead. And we'll pick up in, in chapter 19. And it says, with Pilate's permission, he, it's Joseph of Arimathea, also a member of the Sanhedrin, came and took the body away. And he was accompanied by none other than Nicodemus. Catch this, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. The guy who was ashamed to be able to see with him during the daylight hours. That was Nicodemus then. But take a look at him now. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds worth. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. Guys, don't miss this. Nicodemus had gone to skeptically and secretly visiting Jesus under the cover of dark, to boldly and sacrificially being one of the guys who prepares his body for burial. He goes from the, from the guy not wanting to be seen with the living Messiah to being one of the guys responsible for holding the dead body of the chosen one. This was a transformation. This was a guy who had experienced renewal and rebirth. And it didn't change overnight, but there is no doubt the notable transformation that took place in his life. He was no longer simply a religious overseer of the people. He was a reborn, remade, renewed follower of Jesus. And he didn't care who saw him. He no longer was the same person that he once was. And neither do you have to be. Guys, each and every one of us, at some point in time in our life, have to have a conversation with Jesus that Nicodemus did. One that, that Jesus receives us with grace and understanding where we're at, but also one where he speaks truth into our life, and we have to do something with it. We have to respond to it. And, and you guys are here today, and I'm so glad that you are. So glad that you are, but understand that when you hear these kind of words and you see these kind of stories, it should move us to some kind of action. You see, it's possible for you to show up here every week, to read your Bible every day, to pray all the time, and still simply be a religious person, a church person who sits in the dark and not experience the renewal that God has to offer you. No, you can't go back and change the things that you have done. You can't change who you've become. But from this point forward, you can be renewed in Christ. He can call you different. He, he makes that promise to you. He makes that offer to you. And so some of you guys today need to take him up on that offer. You need to decide from this point forward, I'm going to be new. I'm going to be renewed. Because grace beckons you to come as you are, 
Truth begs you not to stay that same way. Be renewed. I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite Stuart to come back up and he's going to lead us into a time of response. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you. Thank you for stories like we see in Nicodemus. Thank you for allowing John to capture that because to us, it allows us to to see possibilities. It allows us to see truths. It allows us to see that if we, if we come to you just as we are, with an honest heart seeking after you, you won't turn us away. You won't reject us. Doubts and all. Imperfection and all. You receive us. Lord, we also know that you don't want us to stay the same way. And so for those of us that have been showing up, Lord, showing up is a wonderful thing, but it's not the only thing. Sometimes we have to do things about it. I pray that you would convict us, that your spirit would move us to enter into the waters that would cause a rebirth. Lord, we pray these things in your precious holy name. Amen.